John, this is already next level. I love this. I want to get better in, in this area. And everything you just said is so spot on. I'm a shaper. I like working the ball. I like picking the shot that I want to hit. And I, I see it. I aim small, miss small. I like everything you said. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. I don't have my partner in crime, Mr. Matt Cermak, with me. He's traveling this week, so it's just me. But guys, thank you, as always, for hopping aboard from the bottom of our heart. If your golf game is off the rails, if you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course, because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. The part train podcast unpacks the mental game with PJ Torpos, bestselling authors, CEOs, mental performance coaches like today and everyday golfers like today. We did a fun little roundtable with both and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. This episode of The Part Train, like every episode of The Part Train, is presented by Roback Activewear. Guys, the new shorts, unbelievable, okay? They are the greatest shorts I've ever worn. They don't have belt loops, but they're called everyday shorts. So they're literally designed to do every activity. You can golf in them. Just, you know, if you're going to tuck your shirt in, wear a belt, they're probably not the short for you. But I wear them in everything else, including casual golf rounds. So go to roback.com. Enter the code train, get yourself 15% off, enter a new email, do whatever you have to do to get that discount because these shorts are incredible. Honestly, maybe the best thing Roback's ever made. I'm telling you that right now. I love them. I, I'm wearing them right now. I never take them off anymore. I got every color. So Roback.com, enter the code train, get 15% off. If you forget the code, go to the show notes in this episode or any episode, tap that link. It'll auto apply in your cart. Thank you to Roback as always for the support. Now, Let's preview this episode. Guys, I've been wanting to do this for a very long time, and I'm so excited we finally got the chance to. So I had John Weir on the show. He's the founder of Mental Golf Type. We've done two Mental Golf Type episodes prior with his head golf professional, Kyle Alderink. This time we had the founder, John himself. John and I have had a lot of great conversations this year. He's helped me a lot personally with stuff I'm working on. And I wanted to bring my best friend and my member guest partner, Ryan Winehouse on the show. This is third time coming on the show. And I thought, you know what? It's rare that we do team stuff on this show. We had the Surmax on to talk about the Butterfield Invitational. That was amazing team dynamic stuff. This goes even deeper. Okay. So I'm going to make one ask from everyone listening. If you haven't taken the free quiz on mentalgolftype.com. And this, this is not sponsored. I'm just saying for the, the enjoyment and to get the most out of this episode, if you go to mentalgolftype.com and you take that free quiz, it'll get automatically emailed to you with your results. Do that because we break down my mental golf type versus Ryan's, our differences, how Ryan looks at things during the round, how I look at things during the round. And it's so interesting because something that Ryan leans into could create stress for me. Or what creates stress for me could be great for Ryan and vice versa. So knowing what puts our teammate into stress and trigger words to know when we're getting into stress and also things that we can say to the other, right, to keep them going, to get the best out of each other. But also, what are our similarities? What do we both do well? I could see a light bulb going off for Ryan and I. It was coming off for me. Those light bulb moments I love because it explains so much about why we sometimes get quiet how we can be the best team possible. So if you take the mental golf type quiz, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, I'm a sensor. They're talking about sensors right now. This applies to me because of X. So you'll get so much out of this episode by getting your free quiz. So mentalgolftype.com, get your free assessment. I'm so excited to bring you guys along 
the journey. Our member guest is in about three weeks. And so I'm getting married. I'm not going to have as much time to prep going in like I maybe have in the past. And I think this is the type of episode that could really propel us and give us a chance to win this thing. So thank you to John and Ryan for hopping aboard. Thank you guys as always for listening. If we've added any value, give us a review at Apple Podcasts. It means a lot. It helps other people get inspired by your story. And if you like the podcast, but you don't follow us at the part train on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, get some of these tidbits throughout the week. We post multiple times a day. So at the part train on all the socials and no matter how you're hitting it, no matter where the ball's going, guys, remember, just enjoy the ride. Thanks as always for hopping aboard. Take care. And we are back on the train. Mr. John Weir, founder of Mental Golf Type. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a very long time. So welcome aboard the train. And Ryan, one of my best friends, one of the best amateur players to come out of the state of Missouri. Is that fair to say? You're giving me too much credit right there. <laughs> this is your third time on the train, but first time kind of talking with John and the member guests. So as I was saying off air, guys, I'm so excited to have you because I think we're going to be able to help people individually with their games. We're also going to be able to help them with team play, whether that's member guests, whether that's two-man best ball, other formats, whether it's scrambles. I think we're going to get into a lot of good stuff. So first off, I would have given you guys context on your backgrounds, but Ryan, why don't you just give John a little bit of context just on your experience with your mental game? Like when you think about your mental game, what does that even mean to you? How much time have you spent thinking about it and how big of an impact does that have on your day-to-day game? Let's just give some very foundational context. That's an awesome question or a great way to start this thing off because I was fortunate enough to play a lot of amateur golf, junior golf, especially got, got myself a chance to play division one collegiate golf on scholarship. And it was fantastic. Unbelievable four years. And I truly believe if I had the knowledge that I have today, back when I was in school, I'd be a totally different player. So much of that's maturity and growing up and experience all all those things. But, you know, I don't practice today at all like I did back when I was in school. I play golf about once a week and I practice very, very little on my game. So a lot of times when I have the luxury of playing or getting to the course, I'm out there playing 18 holes. But my mental game has gotten substantially better over the years. And again, I I put that right back to maturity because I don't have the luxury to practice like I used to. So I'm one of those guys and everything I do, I want to continue to master my craft and get better in all elements of my life. And golf is still one of those because I enjoy the game so much, but I'm still very competitive with it. It's something that I'm constantly working on navigating myself around the golf course. And it's something I I know I need to continue to improve upon, but I have gotten substantially better over the years. And I'm really, really excited to talk to you because I know I still have a long way to go. Well, that sounds like a great foundation. I'm excited to be here too. Thanks for uh, having me, Evan. And, And it's wonderful to meet you, Ryan. I'm pumped to dive in with you both because from your mental golf types, you guys have some similarities, but you have a bunch of differences. And what's your exposure, Ryan, to mental golf type out of curiosity? Well, so Evan got me hooked up, you know, sent me over the survey questionnaire to fill out. And I don't have a ton of knowledge about it. Like Evan alluded to, we've talked briefly about it. And I'm so happy we're diving in selfishly several weeks before our member desk, because I know it's going to help us get better. 
as you just said, we have a lot of similarities. We're best of friends, first and foremost. So I think that helps us right out of the gates. But we also navigate around the golf course a little bit differently. And so there's some things where Evan, Evan does some things that I don't do and vice versa, where I think when we can learn each other's styles, we'll learn after a great shot or after a very poor shot, we'll, we'll be able to learn each other's styles and how to communicate accordingly. So kind of going back to your question, I don't know a ton, but I am absolutely fired up to dive in because uh, like I said, I want to master my craft and get better. So on that note, Ryan, when you say you've gotten a lot better, what do you think's gotten better over the years because of maturity to your words? Yeah. You know, Evan, this goes back to our old uh, poker days. You know, you, yeah. you hear the phrase going on tilt. tilt. Yeah. It happens in golf regularly. And even when you want to act like you're not going on tilt, it still can happen. Things linger. You focus very much on score. You let that three putt on the prior hole just carry on with you. And next thing you know, you rattle off three bogeys in a row. Um, one of the things that works for me, and, and I've lived by it for probably the better of 10 years now, is if I three putt, which unfortunately does happen with me pretty often, after that three putt bogey, I give myself that 30 to 45 seconds, maybe it's a minute from the green to the next tee box, I give myself that time to beat myself up. I say things to myself that probably a lot of golfers do. I use some choice words there. I give myself that moment because to me, it was unacceptable. I made a mistake. I'm not happy about it. I expect better out of myself. I think it's okay for me to have that time frame to do that. Now, when I tee my ball up on that next hole, out of sight, out of mind, we're on the new hole. And I really, really focus on that mentality to not let it carry with me. That hole's over. I allowed myself that, that time frame to beat myself up, but now it's time to move on and get back going. I'm pretty excited that you're new. So just to kind of give you a quick overview of what mental golf type's all about and how we can help you guys play a lot better out there. When you look at kind of the brain science and what it takes to get to the peak performance state, a lot of the research has been framed around a lot of the universal aspects and what the human brain is actually doing when people are performing well. And we can really summarize that universal zone state by saying it's alpha rhythms in the brain. It's that relaxed state of present moment awareness. And we now also know what shuts down performance universally or what you were calling going on tilt, which is stress. And universally, when we start diving in and getting into stress states, our cortisol and adrenaline starts ripping through our mind. The cortisol restricts your motor cortex, so it hampers your swing. And depending how much stress will determine how much it hamper it. And then the adrenaline is causing your heart rate to accelerate, which also inhibits motor programs. The thing is, is what relaxes you, Ryan, versus Evan and versus myself might be something totally different. And so we need to go into that subjective or individual route to figure out that path of what causes you to relax. And the same is occurring with the stress. So you're experiencing your stress states different than Evan and I are experiencing it as well. And by us having more awareness and I be able to identify when we're in stress, we can actually free our brain of that cortisol release and get back to performing really well, which will make that 30 seconds that you're talking about a whole lot easier when you know how your brain is hardwired because we're learning to identify our predictable patterns and then we're learning how to use our natural strengths that are hardwired into your brain to help that shift occur even quicker. And by the time we get and peg it up on the next hole, your brains relaxes again into your strengths and the performance comes right back. And so those rebounds are a lot easier by understanding how you're wired and eliminating the mental stress. Now, Ryan, John, in addition to being a mental golf type founder, is also a tour caddy. 
this is funny because I've caddied for Ryan in summers back when you're playing in various amateur tournaments. And, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back or anything, but I think we did pretty well as a team. My focus was just keeping Ryan light and talking and making him laugh. And I knew as a caddy that if he three putts or he hit one out or something, Ryan is going to not talk to me for a little bit, walk faster to the next shot. And I just had to let him have that moment, right? Me trying to like help him bounce back in those moments weren't helpful. He didn't want that. He just wanted to be able to beat himself up for a second and then reset on his own. And so I have seen a ton of change, but I think we all tend to do levels of what we've always done, right? It's just whether or not it's dominant or not that day. So for context, Ryan, are you a plus 1.5 right now? Yes. All right. So I've ballooned up to an eight. Ryan's a plus 1.5. So we'll get to it. But I think there's actually some really interesting mental stuff. Once we get into the dynamics of being a team where a lot of times Ryan's keeping us in matches and I would be more likely to win holes if I'm making enough pars and getting pops, right? So we'll get into that. There's psychology around knowing what holes you get pops on versus not. Do I want to know? Do I not? What do we do as a team? But first, let's just dive in. Ryan took the quiz and Ryan is an ESFJ and I'm an ENFP. So just to outline it at a very high level, John, and for the listeners, the differences between Ryan and I is Ryan is a sensor. I'm an intuitive. Ryan is a judger. I'm a perceiver. Similarities are we're both extroverts and we're both feelers. So starting on the differences, what is a scenario where Ryan would react differently as a sensor that would be good for me to know as an intuitive? What are the big differences between a sensor and intuitive, just for someone that knows nothing about mental golf type? Okay, so sensing and intuitive are designating which perception style that we have is dominant. So our minds focus on two ways of gathering information or focusing the attention, and they've shown this in fMRIs. So when they did the fMRIs on people, they showed one part of a brain when given a task, broke down parts and pieces in a kind of a linear way. And then another part of our brain connects those parts into the whole. So it's completely different perception styles. So sensing people tend to, in life, focus on details and facts, and their minds tend to work in a more linear direction. You could kind of think of it like a recipe. They work really well when they know step one to step two to step three, and it's going to produce a likely outcome. Intuitive people, they like theories or concepts. Their mind works a lot more in the big picture. And so whenever they're kind of approaching situations, they tend to start with the end in mind and tend to reverse engineer. They start with the concept or their end goal, and then they allow those necessary parts or details to kind of emerge. A simple analogy to imagine this is, uh, if you were to take a forest, for example, a sensing person would be on the ground floor of the forest, and they'd be able to see and study the details of the particular tree, taking in things with their senses. They could touch it. They could see it. They could count the number of leaves a tree had or the colors. And so they're very much on the ground floor seeing details and specifics, whereas the intuitive looking at the whole forest, but from a helicopter point of view, he's taking in more of the topography. They can see more of the whole landscape. And so we all have these different perception styles. One's kind of like your right hand and the other's like a left hand. One's going to be dominant 
that when we use our brains relax and we trust that information and we trust what we're focusing on. And then the other part is inferior where we can still do it, but we might not be that comfortable with it. And if we developed it a little more, but most of the time our brains are going to produce stress or at the very least increase mental activity. And both of those will inhibit performance. So it's important that we know our dominant perception style. So on the golf course, what are we talking about here? Sensing and intuitive players, first off, are going to do have different target selections. They're going to do better when they select targets in a different way. And believe it or not, you'll have a predictable way that your targeting shifts when you're starting to get stressed. For example, that classic line, aim small, miss small. That is should be the motto of every sensing player out there. Sensors do best with specific targets in determining one specific ball flight. It's almost like they're looking through vertical blinds when they're looking out at their target. All they're locked in on is where they want the ball to go and seeing one path to get there. When they start getting stressed, what ends up happening is, is there's an expansion of their focus. And rather than them talking about something specific or a specific shot they're going to hit, they're going to say stuff like, Evan, I'm just going to get it out in the fairway. Or... I just want to get it onto the green. Nothing Man. specific is selected. There's an expansion. Now, what happens is instead of being detailed, they start getting into their intuitive side and that's possibilities. And so they'll start seeing multiple ball flights or multiple possibilities, or they might look out and say, oh, I never noticed that red stake out there before or that out of bounds marker. What if I get it out there? And because the mind becomes split, it's hard for them to work through the rest of their shot process from there in a really committed way. Now, we have the opposite occur with intuitives. Intuitives, they need to be hitting to expanded zones and areas on the golf course. And they tend to do better when they keep things a little bit more open-ended or even having like a visual target, like an imagined frame to be shaping their ball through. I believe it was Steve Yellen who first started talking about like open-ended visualization, which is such a cool intuitive concept. And basically when you think about when you're really striping it, you just you rip it off the tee, you see that apex, you know, it's shaping right through your area and it's going to find your spot. You pick it up. You don't even think about it. Intuitives visualize really well this way. They see the shapes or the possibilities of it working and their end target more in mind. What happens when you're getting stressed, Evan? everything's going to get more precise. Everything's going to shrink down. So by seeing more open-ended, a lot more possibilities, finding that zone, it's like, okay, I have to hit this shot and I want to hit that there. And that ends up bogging you down through the rest of your shot process. So that's one big way that sensing and intuition is showing up on the golf course and some of the differences. Relatable, Ryan? John, this is already next level. I love this. I want to get better in, in this area and everything you just said. So spot on. I like, I Brian's do, a shaper. I'm a shaper. I like working the ball. I like picking the shot that I want to hit and I, I see it. I aim small, miss small. I like everything you said. What's really unique. And I know we're going to dive into this later, but I just had our club championship this past weekend and there's stressful moments and it's going to happen again at our member guests here in a couple of weeks where as that stress picks up and that, pressure elevates or the pressure that we put on ourselves elevates, I start getting away from some of the stuff that got me there. Or in this past example, you know, I, I won my first match very easily, was playing very well, shot a very low score. Second match, I'm in control of the match the entire day, never trailed, never trailed in the match, yet I lost in 19 holes. 
right? So down the stretch, whether we call it, I choked and I'll give you examples down the road, but I got away from a few things already to, to your point of what you just said. So I'm all ears right now. Well, can we stay with this, Evan? So yeah. what's happening here coming down the stretch? Again, this relates to this sensing and intuition. We call it your attentional focus. Attentional focus is basically, I mean, we have what, four hours in between performance, typically that we're dealing with this and our minds, no doubt, are taking in constant information. That never stops. So what you're saying is, is for sensors, they tend to be a lot more means oriented. So again, you know your steps, you have your plan, and you're just working it one after another, complete command of the day. You're trusting your past experience, you're following your steps, and you have it locked down. Now we're getting closer. What happens to the sensor? The sensor changes from what I know to be true, and it starts going into the what ifs and kind of speculation and it's starting to get ahead and once we start utilizing different information like that what happens is we forget about those details those simple steps those things that you were repeating all day long they start drifting away and what becomes more dominant are these what if ideas or what could be and oftentimes i would assume when speculate is probably more about the future than the past when we're coming down the stretch for a sensor 100 percent this is so important because let's lean into team for a second. This is helping Ryan's individual game, but let's talk about team for a second. So yeah. John just gave me tools as a teammate where I can hear things that Ryan says that indicates to me that he's getting into his intuitive self instead of leaning into his dominant side, which is sensing. So if I start hearing what ifs, or I hear Ryan moving away from ball striking, shaping shots, then I know that he's starting to go into stress. Ryan, remember when your uncle Mark would caddy for you? And the number one thing he would do for you is ask you, what are you trying to do here, Ryan? And that was a great tool for you to vocalize, also help you stay external as an extrovert, to vocalize the shot you're trying to hit, which would then allow you to visualize it. So I think as your partner, as your teammate, and as your friend, it's good for me to remember if we're going through something, which we will, there's always ups and downs in every match. And these things can be a grind, right? What are we playing? Four or five matches in a few days? I mean, I think a big key for me as your teammate is to remind you to be a ball striker. And what kind of shape are you seeing? What shot do you want to hit here? What's your flight? Because Nagel told us the same thing when we had him on the train twice. He told us twice in both episodes that when he leans into the shot he's hitting, and it's all about shot shape and just hitting shots. He always plays better. John, keep me honest. Is that a fair assessment as his teammate? hundred percent. And some other warning signs would be when there's like, if then, or conclusion jumping where, oh, because I had that three putt, that means I really have to step on the gas now or else yeah. my score is going to get away. And then that's, again, that future possibility, right? And then that next tee shot, if it's not addressed, those simple steps that produce consistency in your game are forgotten about because it's consumed out into the thing. So this, that would be another really big one because what we have right now online is level one, which is the facets we're talking about. But we even have a next level up from that, which are our modes of operating. And for Ryan, his mode is when he starts really kind of verbalizing those kind of what ifs or if thens or too much speculation. We want to get him rooted back into the present 
have him tell you even about his experience, right? Like his, the confidence for a sensing player is going to come a lot more from experience than from possibilities. They can draw on it. Sensors like things that are true, that are practical, that are actionable, not any concepts or theories. And if you think about it, any future speculation is a theory. How, how do we know it even happened? It's all theoretical. Millions of things could happen, but the past has happened. And so for sensors, they can draw on their past experience and then bring that to the forefront. But yeah, articulating it and verbalizing things in the routine is important. I mean, even for introverted players, if you're in a struggle, articulating what you want to do is going to help you to generate a positive mental picture, hands down, just through the verbalization. Don't leave it to chance by trying to do it too much in your head if we're all struggling, because it's going to help generate a good picture. Specifically for Ryan, you'd want to say, hey, what's your specific target? What are you shaping it off of? You know, tell me the facts about this shot and what do you know about it? Because again, we want to get back into that, that database of all these experiences. What do you know about that lie, Ryan? And what have you known from the past it produces? Well, now we have a nice clear picture. Even if it was a negative shot that maybe we learned from, we can then adapt through that comparison and contrast and have something we can trust rather than saying, well, what if I try this here? I mean, that's, that's like a death question for an ESFJ out on the course. I'm, I'm trying to relive this moment. It's very hard to relive moments, especially when you're on the golf course, because some of that stress kicks in. And, you know, golf's a unique sport where it's not like others where, oh, you took the playoff or the lack of effort wasn't there. In fact, in golf, for me anyway, it's probably the exact opposite. I'm trying too hard. I'm juiced up. I'm ready to go. I didn't sleep well the night before because all I'm thinking about was this match, right? And I'm thinking about myself in this moment. I'm two up with three to go and I'm playing against a really strong player. So you make a bogey, chances are you're going to lose the hole. It's just the reality of this match, right? And when I lost 16th, he made a great par. It's a very tough hole. I made bogey. It's all right. We're one up on 17, par three over water. He sticks it in the middle of the green. Great shot. And I can already tell you, reliving this moment, I played fast on that shot. I did not pick my target the way I normally do. My adrenaline was pumping. I actually hit a pretty good shot, but I hit it a tad too long. Got a pretty nasty kick. Next thing you know, I'm in the back of the bunker in a, in a cruddy lie, and I make bogey, and we're, we're, hat, we're, we're tied going into 18. And now thinking back already, I needed to take a couple extra deep breaths. I really needed to commit back to my target, which I know I alleviated from. So already you're giving me these images where I'm able to go back now and learn from it. Now, I put extra stress on myself. I started thinking about the outcome. I started thinking about who I was about to play in the next match. I was getting ahead of myself where earlier in the match when I was in control, I didn't have those thoughts at all. So you're already, John, you're, you're spot on with how that round, the direction that, that I ended up going. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break and hear from one of our favorite sponsors. We'll get you right back to the show, I promise. But first, it's kind of crazy to think. You guys are probably going to be listening to this, most of you, while I'm getting married, literally while I'm getting married. And I'm going to be playing Pasa Tiempo the day before my wedding. And I don't want to get burned the day before my wedding. So guess what I'm going to be wearing? I'm going to be wearing Oars and Alps sunscreen. I use the Go Stick on my face. It's great. I always have it in my bag now. It's great for reapplying. And I use the SPF 50 spray with antioxidants and vitamin C for my neck, my arms, and my legs. 
And that was ranked the number one sunscreen by Men's Health in 2021. The Go Stick was the number one new product at the PGA show this year. It's the best. So go to oarsandalps.com. That's oarsandalps.com. Enter the code train, get 15% off. And while you're there, while you got the code, throw in a deodorant, throw in a face wipe, throw in eye cream, treat yourself. Okay. I'm telling you, Oars and Alps is becoming the number one brand for anything beauty or self-care related for men. They got body wash. They got deodorant. They got face wipes. They got creams. They got hair gel. They got hair clay. They've got a thickening spray. They've got all of it. I'm telling you, they email me when they're coming out with new stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys are kind of like the rowback of self-care. You guys are killing it every step of the way. Every new product's incredible. So oarsandalps.com, enter the code train, get yourself 15% off and get yourself a sunscreen without all those chemicals. All right, let's get back to the show. Sensing versus intuitive could be one of our biggest differences. And if there's ever going to be those moments of tension and within the team, it could be this because I'm such a conceptual idea person that even after Ryan lost his second match, he's texting Cermak and I, my co-host, I asked Ryan, what is your takeaway from that match? And, you know, rightfully so, Ryan, and this is our difference and both are totally okay. Is Ryan said, not right now, Evan. This isn't the time for reflection. I just feel shitty because think about it. It's all in the facts. I was up the whole match. I gave it away. This is the thing that I've never performed as well as I know I could. It hurts. The reason why I want to bring this up is because this is so important because this happens throughout our match. I think sometimes I try and pick up Ryan too much. And maybe I feel like Ryan doesn't pick me up enough. And so this could actually be a huge thing that could change the whole energy of our team. Because what we did last year, and we'll get into it, is we both got quiet way too often because we never got it going the whole tournament. It was a pillow. What do they call it? A pillow fight where it was just constant back and forth. We never got into a rhythm. But I just want to give it to you, John. Is the sensing versus intuitive, the facts versus the ideas, and even – can I take a step further? Even the, they just did this, our opponents, we need to do this. Mm-hmm. Where that's where Ryan's mind goes, where I think I just need to focus on my process and how I'm going to play this hole. And that's going to give me my best chance to make par. This is amazing because this is the key difference, I think, in how our brains work. It is a big one for sure. And I also think that the J and P aspects will also play a big role. Okay. Okay. So what judging and perceiving is, is how we basically structure or prioritize our life or our time to get things done. And believe it or not, there are two approaches to going about getting it. I wish my parents knew this growing up because I'm the only perceiver in a family of judges and there are super high level productive people. And then I always thought I was a procrastinator, but I worked in a different way, but trying to be like a judger, I struggled and it actually invoked a lot of stress. So just to give a quick difference, let's imagine we're back in school for a moment, the judger, or it's something that we really want to do. We're getting ready to go on vacation. Let's put it in a better context. We're getting ready to go on vacation. My family as judges, they're advanced planners. They like to be organized and structured and work methodically to that due date. Okay, they can organize their time 
They can learn how to like put the right energy flow and they get into a routine and they can keep a constant baseline going with their productivity always. So my mom's right now, we're going to do a family trip next week. My mom has been getting ready for like this big family endeavor where all our families, my sisters are all coming together. She's been planning for this. She's been organizing, packing, getting everything ready to go. I haven't done any packing yet. Okay. So me as a perceiver, I know I'm going next week, but I probably will pack the night before. Perceivers tend to get started when there's an urgency or they're pressure prompted. There's a deadline or they're really inspired. So they tend to put their action off kind of until the 11th hour. But once that pressure kicks and they go, I have to do it, the perceiver's brain works better. It works better under the gun like that. This is why um, I'm better in the shootout. Yeah. And you see Tiger. I, Tiger every talks shot about matters. This. Yeah. Tiger Woods is a perceiver. He talks about this. He not necessarily in the perceiver context, but he says, you know, as the pressure mounts, things slow down for me. And it's easier for my mind to focus. Now in life, your perceivers make up like your EMTs, your police officers. They learn to get there on time, but there's a lot more spontaneity in their day. There's a lot more variability and variety. And so the difference in their workload is if a perceiver is under pressure or inspired, they can produce high levels of productivity, but it's just not sustainable. And so after a day or two or whatever that effort is, there's a law. Until the urgency or the inspiration hits again, and then they can ride a wave. So the difference with me is, is if I'm really inspired on a project, I could put in 100 hours in that week. Like, I, I can crank it out and I'm rolling. But then I might not do anything for three days. Whereas my family is going to stay consistent. My dad could do that nine to five. And he knew after his, his five o'clock when he got home, he had enough energy to go play a round of golf or to do this. And, and they learn how to prioritize their energy. So not to get too far off track, little basic understanding. So different approaches. Perceivers tend to be more adaptable. They don't do well with an advanced plan. Judges do best when they have an advanced plan and they avoid deviating from it. So when I hear, oh, man, so-and-so made this on that hole, what's happening in Ryan's mind is he's throwing out his game plan and he's trying to make a new one up on the fly. And that's, that's not a good thing for a judger because a judger in that time frame, four to six minutes even in between a shot, let's say, it isn't enough time for them to adequately think it through and to know like that's a really good plan like I could believe in or the good strategy. It's kind of like going on a, a vacation and throwing out the itinerary. Now, hey, maybe the vacation's good or bad. We don't know. And it creates a lot of stress. What happens with Evan going out there or as a perceiver, we lose our adaptability. At first, we start out, hey, I want to be free. I can make it work from anywhere. I got a nice toolbox I can rely on. Not a plan. I got a toolbox. This is the Mickelsons and Tigers. Tiger wasn't a great driver of the golf ball. But he was number one in greens and regulation, like statistically a number of times. What's that showing? The perceiver allowing things to be more spontaneous. But after a bad hole or two, what happens to the perceiving side or our adaptability? We go, oh, I got to be more rigid. I have to have a better plan. You look at the kind of the Justin Rose players of the world and say, man, that guy is really getting a lot of things done. I should be like him and get more disciplined and, and tighten up. And for then the perceiver, they lose that gift. 
for the judge, or we got to just stay to the plan we thought through in advance, because that's the right plan to score on that hole. And it's the right plan that we're confident with. So we tend to be more productive that way. Last little example, I rem- it was a couple of years back. It was DJ and Rom in the match play. And it came down to that drivable hole. Rom was on that burner. I mean, he was making a big run and he took out driver, rib driver. And then DJ thought about it. And yet he pulled four iron. And DJ stuck to his plan. And then he ended up hitting his wedge to a couple feet. And I think, I don't forget who, what the outcome was, but he birdied that hole and he just stuck to his route. If he would have pulled driver out, it would have probably been game over for DJ going against that strength, going against that plan. He practiced, he had in place and he knew he could do. This would also be something. So Ryan, you'd want to say to Evan, hey, Evan, you can make that work from anywhere. You got a shot for that. Hey, let's stay adaptable and flexible here because that's going to get more out of your game. When he has that permission to be flexible, it eases up his brain. Now he can re-entertain possibilities. But if he's staying to one static route, well, now there's only one way. And that creates a stressor in his type, which is, well, it's either good or it's bad. Well, it's bad. It didn't hit that exact mark. Whereas we want to be a little bit more non-attached. And opposite with Evan. Hey, Ryan, you know the game plan. When you stick to your plan, things work out. Come on, just lock down your steps. Execute these steps for me right here. The plan's good. You're going to still make birdie here. That's what you thought through in advance is the right route. And so you're kind of like have to understand yourself and then you can begin to understand the opposite. So it's interesting because Austin and I, who I caddy for, Austin's an ISTJ. And I'm an ENFP. I mean, we're polar opposites. And if I didn't know this information, trust me, it probably wouldn't work for Austin. I would have already long got myself fired for stepping in and talking in the wrong places, misunderstanding him as an introvert, needing more downtime, quiet time to recharge and conserve his energy. I would have been jabbering the whole way. Come on, let's go. He would have been so mentally fatigued by that end of that first round. He'd say, ah, that's, this is too much. But by me knowing him, it allows me to communicate better. It allows me to be more of a chameleon and give him what he needs in order to get to that place. And if you guys can understand where those things are at, we can give great advice to that playing partner that's going to help them get back to what their mental strengths are. Again, that releases and relaxes the stress. It gets rid of it. Once that cortisol goes, the motor cortex frees right up. And we know this is true because every golfer out there hit it great on the range, made that weird walk to the first tee, hit it awful, took that magical walk back to the range, and then suddenly the game is as good as it's ever been. What's the difference? Let's be honest. Motion doesn't change. I mean, Austin's been injured, has gone through two surgeries with his wrist, and yet I saw one of his swings, and it looks just as good as whenever we were out on tour. Motion takes a long time to break down. It's this stress. And so by these little, these little nuances in the way you speak to each other, well, that helps to bring out more of that. And it helps to guide that person. And they go, oh, yeah, I just need to do my steps. Now we're relaxed. Bam, back to confidence, back to birdies, back to you know, taking charge of the round. So let me review. I'm going to put this in bullet point form so Ryan gets it and I can remember. Okay, so <laughs> with Ryan being a sensor in me and intuitive, Like I said before, I lean into pushing Ryan to vocalize 
and lean into his ball striking and his shot shape. So what flight do you see here? Hit your shot. What shot do you like? What do you see? I love that. Hit your shot, right? Now, what does Ryan need to say to me as an intuitive? Where's your zone, Evan? Yeah. So like for a driver, I had the great privilege of being able to work with Mike Bender at the Mike Bender Golf Academy. And Mike is an innovator of all innovators. I mean, you talk about a great intuitive mind. His range is the most beautiful range in the entire world for an intuitive player. He has what they call a 20-yard wide driver zone. He said, if you can hit that, you can hit every fairway on any course because that's the average U.S. Open fairway, most demanding shots. So for you, I'd have at least a 20-yard wide zone that you're playing out to with your driver. That's still a hell of an accurate shot, right? You can even expand it and make it more if you need a little more freedom. Now, typically, the way I've instructed my intuitive players to do this would be, let's say I play a draw. Well, the left side of my zone would be my like my finished target area, if you could imagine. I just don't want to cross that line left. Anything on the right side, I'm good with. I just don't want to overcook my line. So then I'm starting it and shaping it off the right side of my zone and letting it fall back into that big space. And Ryan can say, Evan, it doesn't matter how you get it into that huge zone out there. I don't care if you draw it, hit it straight, hit it low, hit it high. Let's just find that area because bottom line, Evan, the main thing is our score. We get a little bit in stressor by telling them, hey, keep the main thing, that end goal. It's not about how it gets there. It's just where we're finishing and and what our number is. And that's going to help Evan. But yeah, bigger zones, bigger targets, even with your irons. So I believe it's like 10 feet for like a pitching wedge and wedge zone. And then we're going to do a 15 foot one for like your nine iron and eight iron range. Then there's a 20 foot zone and then a 30 foot zone for like six irons, or you're playing a hybrid into something. You could start setting these zones and anything that's in that following those rules and not crossing that flight line. It's going to work out really, really well for you. Yeah. You could also remind him to elevate your zone into the air, hit it through a big frame. Imagine a big picture, billboard in the sky, a big piece of glass. Yeah. See that glass up there and drive it through the glass. That's going to help invoke a picture in Evan's mind. It helps evoke an end goal rather than parts and pieces and mechanics. What's your specific ball flight? Define it. Where is it starting? Where is it finishing? What's your target? This will help the sensor get their recipe going. Okay. So again, sensors do well with specifics. Your next question you would ask him is, okay, what's the move that makes that happen, Ryan? All I got to do is just release my club. All I got to do is just do this. Well, there's a rehearsal and there's a commitment right there. So now we know what's going to happen and how to get there. Specifics and flights for Ryan, more big zones possibilities for me. Because Ryan, one thing that's helped me is like, any shot that I can get my club on that I don't have something directly in front of me is a good shot, right? And Meadowbrook, it's got a lot of trees and things, but like I've practiced enough. I can hit it low and get it somewhere up by the green. And guess what, John, maybe it's something else Ryan can say to me is like, you've been working on your short game all year. Your short game's good enough. So just get it somewhere up near there. We can make par from anywhere. You my know, famous line with my players, they probably heard it all the time. You'll make it work from there. Yeah. You can make it work from there. Yeah. 
that for that intuitive, that little nudge. Well, now you're forward. Now you're like, yeah, I do have a shot. I could hit this. I could hit that. Now in the decision-making, Evan, what, or uh, Ryan, what will help Evan is what helps intuitives is maintain the possibility to say, well, what's your ideal line? And where's your leave if it's not perfect, right? So if I knew my leave was a block right, I'd see my ideal and see my, my right line and say, oh, well, those both fit in my zone. I'm good. Well, now I just released all the pressure off me having to micromanage my golf swing as an intuitive, which is what our stress is. Yeah. Whereas with sensors, they don't micromanage their golf swing. They stop thinking about a simple move or a simple job and they start worrying about what the outcome is going to be or where the ball is going to end up going too much and they'll get lost out there. Yeah. And so, you know, sensors need to realize golf isn't a reactionary game. Let's get down into a simple move. And if I execute that and I'm aimed right, it has to go there. Yep. So then for judges, really quick, judges, perceivers, because I want to talk about our similarities and I want to get into, we might go a little over time. You guys let me know if that's okay. Um, but I want to get into reflections as a team too, because I think there was a ton of learnings from our last member guests. It was the first time we did make the shootout. I think we both kind of put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do that. But really quick. Ryan's a judger. I'm a perceiver. So Ryan is about the facts. No, that's sensor. So remind me, judger versus perceiver. Some bullets would be more structured. Structure. A lot more organized. Yeah. His plan, right? Stick and to your an plan. advanced planner. Yeah. Anything that happens, Ryan, I can make it work, right? And for a perceiver, it's more spontaneity, a yeah. lot more flexibility or urgency, yeah. So that's why when those pressure moments are, you say, hey, this is your time to shine. Because, yeah. Ryan, you can lean on that because you know his brain thrives well. You got this. Let's get a good picture. Step up. This is this is the moment. Yeah. And so we can use urgency or some inspiration to kind of prompt some action. But, yeah, just say, let's stay flexible. You can adapt, Evan. You, you'll, you know how to swim out here. You got a tool for that. Yeah. So a simple way of thinking is judges, they're great with a plan. And yeah. stay into the plan. Okay. If you have a bad hole, so what? Your plan that you still thought through is still the best route to get it done. You did that when you were relaxed and sane and confident and you weren't in the thralls of a competitive event. And he's <laughs> so played the course that. thousands of times. Yeah. You and, know? He, and his then plan the, works on that course. Right. And then the, the perceiver needs to lean on, hey, I got a great toolbox. I have practiced all these variety of shots. And now I can pick and choose and I'll be able to make it work in whatever situation. This helps you stay more adaptable out there. All right, we're going to take a quick break here from another favorite sponsor and we'll get you right back to the show. Guys, I am struggling here. I'm struggling to make a decision. I've got so many good belts from Roostas that when I've got these big important rounds coming up, it's hard to decide which one to wear. I've got the navy and white. I've got the black and white. I've got a blue and white. I've got multicolored. I'm playing Pasa Tiempo and Cypress. Can you believe that? One of our listeners got us onto Cypress for our mini moon, and I want to have the perfect outfit. And you know that having a Roosters belt to elevate every part of my outfit is a big part of that. Okay. It shows that you're a man of style, a man of detail. And Roosters belts is the best stretch woven belt I've ever worn. So, and the bonus. They've got a ton of colors that are based in college football spirit. So if you're a big college football fan, get yourself a belt that you could wear tailgate, watching the game and at the round. 
before the big game. So go to shop roostas. That's R O O S T A S.com. Enter the code train, get 15% off and free shipping. Get yourself a belt for the college football days, but also important golf rounds and just spruce your outfit up to the level that you deserve. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Now, really quick, how is the power? And then I want to get to scenarios to finish out. John, what is the power between, like, if you had to pick as a team, are we better? Are we going to stay in our zone and bring the best out of each other more from understanding our differences, not imposing our differences on the other, but giving these little cues? Or is it leaning into our similarities? And it's not probably one or the other. Both will play a role. But we're both extroverts and we're both feelers. So really quick, before we get to scenarios, how would you suggest we lean into our similarities versus priming and prepping ourselves despite of our differences? Well, first thing is, is utilize yourselves in chat, right? So we all know the really most obvious sign of impending stress. And remember, guys, the real stress, the real negative effect of stress is the subtle stress. It's these subtleties. That's why the medical community says 85% of root cause of illness is stress. You know, those big moments are acute moments. You know, okay, it's the 18th hole. We're all square. Well, we know like, yeah, pressure's mouthing, stress is there. We're in that competitive arena we want, and we know we need to attend to it. It's more of getting rid of the subtle stress. We have the thing called the boiled frog syndrome. The only way you can really boil the frog is have them in the lukewarm water and slowly turn the gauge up. Because if it's boiling hot, the frog jumps in, realizes it's hot, jumps out. And these are those 18th holes or that big putt. We know we got to attend to ourselves. Heart's beating out of our chest. We're trying to calm our breathing, do everything we can. After you start seeing maybe one or two shots starting to go awry, you might hear Ryan say, well, man, what if, you know, I might do this here. You guys will start talking and stress too much about your golf game. Evan probably become over analytical. Ryan's likely to start talking about those what ifs that we talked about. Then it goes into the quiet phase. So those are some of those red flags. What's great for you guys to be doing is to say, look, feelers are relationship people by nature. I mean, even as I met Ryan for the first time, I mean, smiling, happy, a lot of energy. That's that extroverted feeler in you, Ryan. And that's like your best mode. I was talking to Evan. I said, I bet he's a really social guy. He goes, And so am I, but I get around Ryan. It's like, I'm quiet because everybody's engaging and socializing with Ryan. We want to keep that social aspect in your tournament time. Don't get consumed too much into the task because this is the thinking side. And if you start leaning too much into the score or overanalyzing what's going on out there, it's going to start taking you both into a whole different way of evaluating the situation. And it goes from being kind of subjective and you guys pursuing your goals, your individual goals to the goal or the score or the task, right? And it's going to create this different evaluation more into a black and white perspective. So feelers, when they're getting stressed, their evaluation of the world goes into being objective, looking at a task and going right, wrong. And it's most of the time it's wrong. So I got to fix it (laughs) when we starting to utilize that feelers do better when they're building on what's working. They're maintaining a positive attitude and relationship with the people around them. And they're going to do a lot better when they're pursuing their own individual goals out there. 
So I would put forth some of your own values that you guys have a team, pursue that rather than like the win. We yeah. notice that feelers say, I know this is a weird thing. It sounds like linguistics, but it's really not. Feelers tend to go out and pursue their goals or they want to be their best. So yeah, I want to be the best that I can be. Thinkers want to go out and be the best because they use more objective measures. So they'll use like those stats or different things as a way to determine where they're at in the situation. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. I could feel successful leaving a course, even with a bad score, if I checked off all those markers that were important to me as a feeler. So what we want to do is keep social aspects. Talk about the wedding that's coming up. Talk about the different things in your life. And then when we start to get around that performance bubble, well, now we're tuning in. So now we say, okay, what do you know about this shot, Ryan? We talk too much about the golf, Ryan. Yeah. And I would save that for process time because we all need recharge time. So when you're hyper analyzing the round or too much about the task, in this case, golf, scoring, strategy, these things, that's going to bog your brain down. What ends up going to happen is, is if you have a poor shot on the next one, it's going to go into that right wrong. Well, it was wrong. And for a feeler, if we go from that perspective, what's unfortunate is we never go to the right. Well, I did nine out of 10 things right there. I just kind of pushed it off to the right. But then you go, oh, it's wrong. I have to fix or I'm going to go and press on that next shot. Yeah. What feelers have to do is they got to find what's working and build upon it. So like a good thing that you guys could do in your routine at the end for post shot is they say, Hey, what's one good thing you guys did well. And then even if it wasn't good, right, there's still a factor or some level of success. If we can start there as a feeler, then you can look at what you want to improve on the next shot. Well, now we're still doing an evaluation but it's going to keep you from going into that critical route because that was wrong. I need to fix this quickly becomes I'm a terrible golfer. I stink at this game. Oh man, here goes my score again. This is what I do all the time. And now that self-criticism begins to spiral. And now we're really in the pits of stress and things typically kind of fall apart. What's your big takeaway with all this, Ryan? I've got a scenario I want to unpack more personally, but what most comes up for you when you hear this because now you've seen the similarities too. So what do you think is a big thing for us? That's a big opportunity for us. Number one, John, your assessments are perfect. So like it's given me a different perception on things. Obviously we know ourselves as individuals. We know ourselves as teams as well. And we're acting as if we haven't had success in the past. I mean, two out giving of three. ourselves a little, little pat on yeah. the back. I mean, we made the shootout two out of three times. So we're doing a lot of things right. But I think us both being competitors, we just want to continue to elevate and get to the next level. So I love it. And it's given me trigger words of things I can say to you and vice versa to me of how we assess the, the certain situations. I also like how when we, there's so much downtime in golf before you hit the shot. So I love how when we're getting into the process, that's when we're going to talk about golf. But in the other in the other moments, that's when we get to talk about life and catch up as best friends as we are. Right. Yeah. So I love that part. I do have one question because Evan and I, you talked about I love the packing analogy that you gave of just kind of the procrastination and and some people are, are the planners versus, you know, like that urgency. And Evan definitely comes to play in that shootout. He embraces that moment where I'm sitting there visually thinking about hoisting the trophy and we're only on the 15th hole. Right. So we got a long way to go. So I already have some tidbits there. 
But before we get to the shootout, because Evan, you, you mentioned it earlier, last year was the only year we didn't make the shootout. And I think expectations were we need to make the shootout because that's all we know. It's right. our time to win it this year. And so we got away from the process, which I think is going to be an easy fix for us. However, one of the areas and, and the question I have for you is, Evan, you said this at the beginning with my handicap, my role, or that's probably a bad way to phrase it, but I, I need to keep ourselves in the matches. Evan is typically the one that is going to win the holes if he can make a four net three or a five net four. But Evan said a comment last year. He's like, sometimes I wish I just didn't even know if I got a stroke on the hole. You know, sometimes I wish I just played the hole, which I totally get where he's coming from. But the situational or the 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 planner in me wants him to understand, no, you need to know that you get a stroke here because maybe on this putt, you got two putts to win the hole and you need to know that. What are your takes on that, John? I would let him take it as it emerges. Yeah. Because, again, yes, he could go to the end goal and see that, but – if he has to start thinking of that scenario, what he's going to do is start scripting it too much. And for an NP type, that takes away their creativity and their ability. Like perceivers are emergent. They do best as things emerge, as it comes up. That's why it's a fascinating thing. Like perceivers do amazing. And I talked to a lot of tour players seeing a course for the first time. Like you put a perceiver typically in a, or an NP, ENTP, uh, ENFP, these types out on a course for the first time, they light it up because they're just thinking of their shot and what they want to create and just allowing, taking it as it comes and as it emerges. After they get their plan and the tour players start playing a couple practice rounds on it, then they're like, well, I have to play it this way. And it's this shot here. And this is the right way for it to go. And they end up creating a lot more restriction and rigidity in their game. And so I get what you're saying. He has to know where those times are, but you could also know where it's at and say, Evan, this is your time. Let's go. Step on the gas here. Give me a, give me a good one here. Let's say we're, we're on, on a par four. I know he's getting a stroke. I'm driving the car. He's the passenger in the car. I'm keeping score. I see the dot on the scorecard. Do I tell him, Evan, you're popping here? Or do I just not say a word and just give him the advice of, hey, where's your zone? Let's go. Yeah, let's get a good picture and keep going. You know, present moments, the gold standard for everybody. The more you guys can keep yourself present with in between shots, socializing, and then helping that person stay present in the shot process. That's our greatest asset you could give to your teammate. And it can just give them a little more encouragement. You got this one. If you know it's a big hole, you could, you could give them a little bit. And that's what he's asking yeah. for you from. He ain't going to say it, right? He won't speak up because he's an introverted feeler. So those things that he's looking for in the relationship, he kind of keeps in there, right? And then he'll eventually speak up, but he wants you to go, yeah, let's get this. And I bet if he's starting to feel that little motivation or that little push from you, he'll know that nudge. Yeah. The other important thing, John and Ryan, that I think is important if we would do that is I need to treat every shot like the shootout then. Like and, that. You know, yeah, because I think in the past, sometimes... I'm not sure if this putt means something, right? So then I don't give it my full presence, my full focus. Whereas in the shootout, I know every shot means something. And that's true in the matches too, you know? So I think sometimes in the past, if I blocked one way right, I assumed I was out of the hole. But yet when I play at home, I make pars like that all the time. 
and I'm almost embarrassed to admit this to you, Ryan. I don't think I've ever told you this, but as I've reflected before this conversation, I've realized the, and I've talked to John a lot about this separately. John's really helped me with this. My biggest thing in member guests. And really when I just play with you and anyone better than me is self-belief because when I'm with people that are like my Ryder cup trip, like when I'm quote the number one seed, right. And as like a seven handicap, I'm the best player. I inherently have more self-belief because I know that I'm better. And what I've realized my biggest pattern is that I hope can help a lot of people listening is when I'm suddenly around scratches, twos, threes, and you guys are all yucking it up and you're all hitting fairways and you're all hitting greens. And I'm over here banging it out in the trees all day. I, that's when I get quiet Then my spiral starts happening and I start thinking, you suck at this game. Why do you spend so much time in this game? You're letting your team down. Look at them having so much fun and you're embarrassing yourself over here, right? All those negative stuff. And so sometimes like when Ryan's being an extrovert and yucking it up with the opponents, which is great for him because he's an extrovert. He needs to stay external. I'm sitting in the cart all quiet being like, I just want Ryan to like pump me up right now. Well, you did this on your bachelor party. And we were not on the same team. We were playing against each other. Yeah. But you got like that. And I think both Cermak and I were playing really well that day. Yeah. But I think, and and you did get quiet. And I, and I do when we're playing with our opponents and the member guests, yes, I I try to stay very engaged and talkative and, you know, have fun with it. And I do notice that, but now I got some trigger words of things I'm going to say to you for that positive reinforcement. Yeah. So I got stuff to bring you back up, even if you're not playing well that day, but yeah, I, I, I totally hear you. Yeah. Well, it's just funny, right? Because in that moment, so in the two years, it's funny. The two years we made the shootout, John, I had a lot of fear. And I don't know if Ryan knows this, but like I've experienced and people, our listeners probably don't think I go through this because of the show that I host. But like my hands have have been shaking. My heart's beating out of my chest. There's a big miss out there. And all I want is not to have that. Right. Ryan, two years ago told me to put the driver away. We made the shootout with me hitting three wood all week. Now, what he probably doesn't realize is when I hit a good shot and I finally get one, I don't know if people realize how big of a relief it is. It's like the weight of the world. So if I look at the first two years, I was really riddled with fear. The last year we played, which ironically is the year we didn't make it, is I had more confidence, but I let the confidence and the previous success make me want it too bad. And we've talked about this on the show that fear and wanting it too bad can actually produce the same. It's all stress, right? Mm -hmm. It produces the same result. So I think this year, the big key for me is I don't need to be perfect at all. I'm a better player than I was three years ago. I'm a much better around the greens. I'm better with my driver and better putter. And so it's like, I think possibilities always staying in it not getting down on myself, talking about non-golf during the round. Personally, those are going to be focuses that I'm going to, that I'm going to be thinking about. I love it. I think it's great. I think you guys are in a position to go out and get it done. Yeah. Just uh, going back to some things, Evan, I think, you know, if you need something from him, reach out and tell him these are good articulations with teammates. Um, And, and Ryan, you know, you're very talented and skilled you kind of serve as a coach, you know, and it's kind of in your nature to be a leader and somebody who could take some following. 
if you want to and be a good team player. And if you see him getting off the rails, what you want to do, and this will serve you as well, is provide some coaching to him. Just not necessarily swing related, just the emotional support and coaching is saying, hey, you can adapt and make this work. I've seen you do this a million times. Let's go. Let's get just a confident rip. And it's good for feelers before you guys go into it, rather than just, we obviously know we want to get the score and we want to win, right? These are obvious goals. What we want to do is now chunk it down and list out what your goals are personally and your values to be able to produce that. And you saying, I don't have to be perfect. That's on the value list. Rather than using the negative, I like excellence. I've always liked pursuit of excellence because excellence allows me to make a mistake and I can be okay and still be excellent. And that's a really high level. And that's, that's a good pursuit. For me, I was in a similar situation. I played a lot with these really high level players. I was a mental coach. I didn't have the technique developed like they do, but I had a decent game. But I had to start going out there and rather than trying to be like them and be a technician or have this perfect golf swing that's been trained with really good coaches, I had started looking at my own individual strengths. And this is what feelers tend to do. And I said, well, what do I do better than even those great ball strikers? Well, I know how to relax my mind better than them because I teach them how to relax their mind. I'm leaning on that. Number one, my main thing over the ball is I'm going to relax my mind. Second thing I'm going to go out and be is I'm a good athlete and I can trust my athleticism in the time I put in practicing. I'm going to trust my hand-eye coordination because I know things about the brain a little bit that a lot of people overlook. Like a lot of your brain is allocating power just for your hand-eye coordination. So think about the last time you went to reach for someone's hand and you missed it when you were going to shake their hand or to go grab a water bottle off a desk. It doesn't happen. Your survival is intimately connected to your hand-eye coordination. Well, I can trust that on the golf course. I'm going to rely on my hand-eye and be an athlete. That's what that meant to me is I can trust that without having to micromanage my swing. And then I also say, what else can I value is my attitude. And I would challenge any feeler out there. We have never produced a good score or a good round that we're really happy with, with a poor attitude. We just don't get it done. In fact, if you're a feeler out there, I say attitude is like top priority. If you keep your attitude, which is really for a feeler, your relationship, you to you, you keep that in a good place. You give yourself permission to make some mistakes, but to adapt or stay to your plan and just keep staying to what you do great you're going to shift and you're going to make a lot of great strides. If you're a feeler, if you guys tend to that relationship, you to you, it's a priority. It actually is linked to every really good round of golf. There's never been a time when a feeler was playing golf angry that they really done well. It's kind of counterproductive. Thinkers can sometimes get away with it because a thinker tends to view situations when they're at their best, more impersonally, more objectively. They're a little more step back from the experience. So they're, they're by nature hardwired to see what's wrong and fix it. And they can do it. And sometimes they can take that impersonal approach. They may appear to be negative or angry and still get the job done. And that's because they're actually not even emotional. They're just keeping things at a distance. And they tend to be very direct. But feelers, mm, doesn't work out too well. And so... Keep that in mind as you go out there. And if you guys come up with your core values as a team and then just remind each other of that and you guys will thrive with those. Yeah. And it's something that will make you feel good subjectively too, rather than having some 
you know, arbitrary number we're pursuing chasing and things. Yeah. I like talking uh, about being an athlete, Brian. So that's maybe a good one for me, but last thing before I let you guys go, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this. I mean, this has been Ryan's thing. I think he's probably wanted to talk about the most, which is match play. So let's finish with this because Ryan texted me that he's not a good match play player, but let's go back and look at the facts, Ryan. You won five and four day one, shot a 68 from the tips. Keep me honest on the numbers. Am I right? Seven and five win, but that's what seven and five. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Even yep. better. Seven and five. Thanks that's for correcting day. me. Second day, you were winning the whole match. And yeah, you fell into some old habits and thought about, you know, the future, but that's something that's actually a success because now you know that that's a tendency. And so I actually don't believe that Ryan's a bad match play player. Ryan, what's a question for John regarding match play? Let's finish on this this narrative around match play, because I actually think you're much better than you think you are. Well, Evan, you, you and Matt both helped me prior to this year's tournament. You know, we had the stroke play earlier this year, which I was fortunate enough to win this year. And then going into match play already, I'm not as confident because I feel like I'm not a great match play player. We talked prior to the event how you need to almost forget your opponent, play the golf course, right? And it's easy to say it's hard to do. But that first match, I went out there. We talked about playing aggressive. I played super aggressive, you know, from the back tees in Meadowbrook. Not that I ever have a goal of how many birdies I want to make, but I would probably expect myself to make a couple. And I made seven that day, right? Like that was just a good day. It wasn't, it was abnormal, but I think I, I had a different approach. Well, what's the, the big round, difference we told you on the greens? Play aggressive, no. So John, we told them instead of thinking about pars, making pars to stay in it, I want you to blitz the field. I want you to make birdies, right? Yeah. And he made seven. So keep yeah. going. Sorry. Yeah. And, and, and even the next round, my game wasn't nearly as strong that next day. However, I was in control of my game too. You know, I wasn't maybe making as many birdies, but I was playing solid. I was, I was playing, playing the golf course. As the round progressed, I started thinking about the outcome. I started thinking about my next opponent. I started getting ahead of myself, which – John, you've taught me tremendously today. I truly believe this is the definition of a deeper dive where I'm really excited to go play my next match play round in a couple of weeks with Evan. And so I really don't know if I have any questions right now. It's more of, I needed to hear this. This is the type of stuff I need to hear because what I just went through and trust me, it still hurts. I wanted to win the club championship, but I did. It's no different than any adversity moment. You look back at it and you learn something through it and you're better off because you did go through it. I don't want to go through that again. I want to win next time. But I think I know I know where I made my mistakes mentally, and I know at least what I'm going to do differently next time. We'll see if the outcome's different, but I at least know how I'm going to think things through on a different wavelength than what I just did. And I would think just if there was any warning flags in a match play for an ESFJ type or if you're an SJ type, it would be just getting too caught up in what the other people are doing and then going against your plan, right? Like, Okay. Oh, they pulled yeah, driver. So I'm going to hit driver, even though I practiced the two iron, like we had talked about. If you root in to say, this is my plan, I'm staying to it. And now it can adapt to me. I'm playing my plan. That would be the big warning thing I would have for that type. I'd say, Hey, you got to just be cautious not to be adapting. And again, John, I did that for a good solid 16 holes, 15 to 16 holes of that second match, but I did get away from it. Not, not necessarily club selection, but thought process, my mm -hmm. plan, right? And so I do get wrapped up in what my opponent's doing or 
oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I have a 15 foot birdie putt. He's in the trees and he just chipped in for birdie. And now all of a sudden, what a turn of events. And now, yeah, I'm all mental about it. So yes, you are so spot on with that. And I, I know I've gotten better about that, but I got to absolutely continue to do so. Here's a good mantra for you. The situation may change, but my process and plan stay the same. That's where I get my confidence. And if that becomes kind of the core belief that you can read, situation may change, but my process and plan are the same. That's why I'm confident. You said something earlier about the DJ John Rahm match, and that is a perfect parallel. One other one that came to my head was when Zach Johnson won at Augusta, and he did not go for one par five and two the whole week. That was not part of his plan, and he didn't deviate from it. And and as Evan said earlier, I do know this course so well. I know how aggressively I like to play the course, and you know I need to stick to my plan. Whether my opponent hits it in the trees or not, I'm sticking to my plan. And that is something that in the past I have deviated from that I will for sure make sure that I'm not going to this year. I love it, Ryan. I'll end with this. This is the beauty of mental golf type. So if you haven't gotten your quiz... I assume many of you are probably going to mental golf type during this episode and getting your free quiz. Cause this is how powerful this stuff is. Ryan needs to stick to his plan, but guess what I did last year. I created a plan the week of for me, that would be as a perceiver, not good. Right. I, I was, I planned to hit knockdown three woods and drivers, everything knocked down for the entire week. I have never done that in my life, but I was like, you know what? I'm getting good contact. I'm rolling with that. You know how they say some things work until you put them in competition and it needs to be grooved, right? Competition will expose that. And if you haven't done something for a while, competition and stress is going to expose it. So I played the entire last member guest with a plan, forcing myself to stick to a plan. And that's bad for me, but that's great for Ryan. So to Ryan's point, it's not like we're in marriage counseling. We haven't had success. We're best friends. We have a great time playing. But this is the power of this stuff because Ryan will now have warning signs of when I'm getting into my stress and will have words to kind of pump me up, keep me going. And I can do the same thing with Ryan. And this is beyond team game. This is with yourself. So John, Ryan, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I thought this was amazing. Selfishly, it'll be great for us, but I think it'll help a lot of people too. So thank you guys for coming on. I have one request. I have yeah. one request before we end, uh, and, and that is, and I don't know when you plan on releasing this, but I know a lot of the member guest participants listen to your podcast. You may <laughs> want to save this one for after the tournament because you guys I, gave us a big competitive advantage, and I love it. I'm fired up. Let's go. I actually think this is coming out my wedding uh, week of my wedding, which is like a couple weeks before. So I might have to scramble. It's either coming out before or I need to scramble and record another episode before I get married, but it's a fair point, Ryan. It's really fair. We're, we're prepared. We're ready to dominate. But that right there truly was next level. So, John, you're the man. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. Thank you.